Welcome to Affiliate Pub Takeaways from Moonpool. It has often been said that the most productive conversations in affiliate marketing happen in the pub. Whether that's an ad hoc after work pint, an informal breakout over the road at Brighton Affiliate Huddle for instance, or a late evening bar chat in the Cosmos Chandelier Bar. It's the chance to take a step back from the formal, a break from the routine, where ideas can flow as freely as the beers. So we at Moonpool have had a few conversations recently and we've picked out some of the best of the affiliate pub takeaways to share with you. In today's chat, Steve Brown and Mark Smith are in conversation with industry veteran Bruce Clayton of Gen 3 Marketing about his favorite pub, Jazz FM, his Optimus journey, and some of the issues facing the affiliate industry. We join them in a chapel in London's Marylebone. So tell us about the chapel. Oh, crikey. Well, probably been going there since the bear at 1996. Just a very civilised boozer and slightly different to your average traditional London pub. Many a, many an evening at Jazz FM that ended there and there was many an evening at Optimus uh, there. So can you tell us what a typical London boozer is? Exactly. What was a pub back then? Well, it was a, a proper pub with local people that live around the corner rather than people that would willingly uh, pay £8 for a pint of lager and get on their train home. You held marketing events in the chapel because you liked it from your Jazz FM days and when you started your agency, you you held some events there. Yeah, it was also, um, I guess, a lot of it is coincidence and convenience in equal measure. So we used to have an office, literally, a London office, literally just down the road from um, the chapel. Um, so Mickey Connor, who used to be our commercial guy, um, and he also lived up the road in Kilburn. So it was just the perfect location for the office and very conveniently located, selfishly, for those of us that actually worked in London. So when did you start the agency? Myself and Mark founded it in 2006 after many meetings at Reading Station. So did you know Mark before you started the agency? Then? I met him at a few affiliate events. So really my work history is commercial TV, commercial radio, and then went to work for Lycos and then ended up working at DGM like an awful lot of people in this industry and just basically got to know Mark by attending a few affiliate events. I think it was a kind of mutual understanding and possibly more to do with the love of beer. Matt Wood was also involved from, from the early days in terms of just helping us get things started and he actually had an affiliate management agency for about a year before us. Um, we grew our client base faster than we grew the name and he grew his name faster than he grew his client base so it actually made real sense to bolt those two things together. So at that point in the UK, the big agencies, the media comms of this world, did affiliate management for their brand name clients. Were you one of the first agencies focused on affiliate marketing in the UK? Because OPMs did exist in the US at that moment, but not necessarily in the UK. They did, and I think that possibly how we came about, and you're quite right, actually. We've always lagged, we, we lag the US in certain respects, and we lead it in others. And I think in terms of the way that the affiliate industry grew in the UK, it was probably like the US was 10 years before, which is, I'm assuming, the same sort of genesis of the APMs. 
networks have always essentially sold affiliate marketing as a bit of a free lunch, which is not, in practice, I don't find that to be particularly true. You can, you can set yourself an affiliate program if you're the right sort of brand, it will grow. But unless you actually put some time and effort and thought into it, it will not grow as much as you want it to, and it will grow in different ways to how you want it to. And that can have sort of negative impacts in many ways. So from our point of view, that sort of atmosphere of affiliate marketing being sold to the many networks really onboarding so many people there are a lot of people that were really cheesed off with the way that their affiliate management or their affiliate programs were going so it was a very good time to enter the market to basically yeah. service those accounts and i think that actually is a very good statement it was a good time to enter the market i would disagree with you that networks sold affiliate marketing as a free lunch because certainly the larger clients were very demanding of what the affiliate network did for them but whether the networks actually had the capability to deliver or whether the advertiser had the capability to work with the network or whether the agency in between actually had the capability to manage the relationship. 2005, when affiliate marketing was growing very quickly, there was probably a lack of expertise to run affiliate campaigns professionally. Yeah, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's an incredibly fair point and I think you probably put it a lot more eloquently than I did mm. from the point of view that I, that has less side on it than the way that I put it. I think the issue is, big clients, they will always be serviced or over-serviced by networks because that's where the vast majority of their money is going to come from. The issue being that they have a technology platform that can basically take an infinite amount of scale. The people that run that are unfortunately not infinitely scalable in terms of their number or their experience or whatever. And I think, you know, I'll stand by something that I'm an aspect of what I said. There is there is an element of affiliate management being sold in a certain way. It will deliver this. And it does, as you quite rightly say, it requires some expertise and understanding for somebody to manage it. What we do as an agency isn't rocket science. The difficulty that I think a brand has trying to get affiliate marketing to work for it, if you are a lone voice and you manage your affiliate program internally, is you're jumping up and down and you're trying to talk to the same hundred significant affiliates to get your brand on there and get represented and have them work with you and and amplify your promotional calendar and all of that. Um, The difficult thing is, again, affiliates have a finite amount of bandwidth to deal with all of those things. Um, And network account managers, again, whether it's offered or whether it's not, they will quite often have, you know, you you can't put too many accounts with with one person and expect those to be serviced to the same level. So go back to the 2005-2006 criticism was there was a lack of people to to really run the industry professionally, for the industry to be truly professional, as professional as it wanted to be. So 2023, the difference that we have now is we have networks, whether they're performance networks, they're partner networks, that have a different business model to 2005, 2006 where they're not on a percentage of the sale. They might be on a fixed fee or a tier of a fee for depending on the volume of traffic that goes through the campaign. Does that change where the effort to make an affiliate program successful and does that also shine a light on the requirement for professional people, for competent people? I think to go back to the sort of 2005, 2006, 
What I'm saying is not necessarily a criticism of the networks. It was just an explosive growth phase that everybody was going through from the point of view that there was much more of a, oh, this affiliate marketing thing is quite new. There are an awful lot more brands that didn't have an affiliate program and they were all coming on very, very quickly. And I think that there possibly was an assumption on all sides from a brand's point of view. Yeah, it's dead easy to run an affiliate program. From a network's point of view, everybody's going to know how to run their affiliate program properly. And I think the industry potentially created a problem that's taken a while to resolve. So I'm not sitting here pointing a finger. It's just a case of our business and other agencies, businesses that came about at that time were basically to help people solve that problem. In terms of what you said about the here and the now, I mean, I, I look at it very much from an agency point of view. What we've done over the last 16 years, 16, 17 years, has not essentially changed that much. We are looking at what our client's problems are, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a big client or a small client or what their fiscal relationship is with the affiliate network. Our task is, is, is still the same. I think they just have a much better understanding of what they want from the channel and how potentially the channel sits within, within the mix now. Scaling account management is a difficult task. You're running an agency saying we offer a great service. How do you scale account management so you can actually continue to grow and have happy clients? Um, I think there are two sides to that. One is trying to systemize as much as possible. People do not want to overpay for a managed service. You know, I, I know that from wearing my sales hat and I know that from the way that we've been able to grow the business. As soon as providing affiliate management becomes too sizable a chunk of the overall cost of an affiliate program, then you run into problems. So, I mean, I can really only sort of say it from the, from the Gen 3 Optimus point of view. We've always tried to provide a reasonable service at a reasonable price. So... From that point of view, it is what is realistic to provide for a brand based on our understanding of what a brand can legitimately achieve within the affiliate space and essentially providing agreed services that are easy to systemize so that we can do that with the headcount that we need and the cost base that we need as a company to be able to provide the service at a reasonable price and still hit our goals as a business from that point of view. So you know, we, we have clients that we provide a variety of different services too, but in the main, you know, the goal of my goal as a salesperson is to sell somebody in to a sustainable relationship that is going to last for many years. My goal with my account management hat on is to make sure that when we sell that level of service, it is something that we can deliver as an agency quite happily and sustain that. Which basically means that, you know, and then again, being located down in Plymouth, our particular challenge is there aren't armies of experienced affiliate managers in the locality and the world's going increasingly virtual so that's almost less of a problem but even so there are still not armies of people that are ready trained in affiliate management so we've always tried to train people up from the bottom and try and have this kind of throughput that meets the business as the business has grown with x more number of clients we've got another account manager ready but we will take anybody in from an apprentice to a grad The challenge of many sectors, actually, or many channels. Mm. So you've got the SEO challenge, you've yeah, got yeah. the affiliate challenge, yeah. where the people in the channel almost try to rely on this idea that it's better. 
when actually it's just different. It doesn't make it better or worse, it makes it different. So mm. when you're running campaigns maybe more holistically, you're a very large bank, you run across multi-channels, you're looking at the metrics either holistically in one big way, or you're looking, of course, at the performance of each of the channels as well. And one of the challenges that I, I've always sort of felt, and it does continue to exist, possibly not like it did, but back in 2005, 2006, one of the big ways we'd look at affiliate is that it, it was better. It, was, it wasn't better, it was lower risk. And over the years, has that siloed nature of affiliate marketing started to ease? Is it now becoming part of a much bigger advertising, uh, not just so much campaign, but thinking, and the way that people think about how the way they promote their brand, how they generate their sales? We're not exclusive in driving sales the nature of the model is possibly lower risk, but it doesn't make it greater reward. So do we think that's, that's an ongoing challenge to the market? Is its positioning the way that people think about it a challenge? Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's sort of yes and no, and, and, and there's sort of two ways to look at that. I think affiliate, again, it's quite polarised. Traditionally, I think affiliate, because it's one of the things, you know, one of the points I would, I would make about affiliate marketing is, it's in the digital space, but it's actually a really people-focused kind of business because I don't see an affiliate as anything other than a media owner, but that's probably my old school sort of way of thinking about it and coming from, from that kind of background. So I think affiliate has either the outlier because people struggle with it because it doesn't behave like paid search. You can't turn it off and turn it on again. You know, it's not instantly responsive. There are lots of different sorts of affiliates and you know, a thousand clicks generated by an affiliate will behave profoundly differently to a thousand clicks generated by another digital channel. And if people can't get their head around that, then they tend to sort of push it out into the corner. You know, they'll hire an agency to, to, to deal with it. Um, and so it's not seen as part of the mix. Where it is seen as part, it will be seen as part of the mix, but again, it goes into Google Analytics. It kind of sits there. And I think one of the things that you were sort of hinting at is, you know, you're really looking at building a picture of the customer journey and how, how, how various sort of things um, interact with that. So where affiliate is part of that mix, then it starts to ask a lot of questions about the affiliate channel. How incremental is it? Where does the customer interact with it? And you've got many different sorts of affiliates that sit at many different points in the funnel and interact with the channel in very kind of complex ways from that point of view. So you end up with, with a kind of a a polarised landscape. There are those people that still shove it out into the corner as an outlier. They know they've got to have an affiliate programme. They don't particularly like it. They're always very critical of it. Or you have other clients that are very analytical and, and manage their affiliate programmes in a completely different way. And they look at what the channel is, is delivering in more of a scientific way. I don't think anybody's ever really done a huge amount with that, as in the practicalities of trying to be too scientific with the affiliate channel generally tend to run up against many brick walls. So fundamentally, while the way people look at the channel might have changed into being more complicated, the way that it's actually managed in actual terms probably hasn't changed that much. Which is a really good point, right? And so, as we refer to the fact you said that over the last 16, 17 years, it hasn't changed that much in the way you manage clients. But if you look at any other channel, there's an ecosystem. The ecosystem has, has hugely changed for SEO, for PPC. Amazon has its own ecosystem. And it's actually quite surprising that we still remain very network focused for technology. We don't have a lot of supporting technologies going around. Attribution, what Odyssey are doing, 
I mean, attribution is exactly where this market should be going. Really understanding the incremental nature of the entire customer journey as it interacts with affiliates and, of course, as it interacts with other channels. Because what happens is a lot of uh, clients will look at it and say, well, is that really through social media? And then they went on, clicked on this, and now they've overwritten my social media click rates or so whatever it is. You're sort of answering the question or possibly answering the question in a way that the CPA nature of affiliate, unless you get incredibly detailed, makes it rather binary. And I think the, it, if you, it, it if can you, be. Yeah, if you want people to understand what they're promoting and what they're going to get rewarded with, it's got to stay simple, otherwise it becomes too complicated. But isn't that in itself a limiting factor to Bruce's point. Yes, it, it is. It, it's either put in the corner and left as its own thing that we kind of need to have, but we're not quite sure about it, but it makes some sales, or it's part of a must be mix. And surely clients today, or certainly e commerce clients, are far more embedded in their own science and their own analytics. And that ecosystem that we miss that would support the role that the agencies play, because there's something you said earlier as well, which is when networks try to be all things to the client, my guess is that often that's when the agency is eventually sought, when people realise that nobody is all things to all people. To run an account managed service and a technology and a tracking solution and a database of publishers, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you see the way a lot of the networks have gone, especially in the States, they've gone to be a technology provision. And then around that, they build their own version of an ecosystem of OPMs and so on. Yeah, we've had, obviously had a lot of conversations outside of this room about this. The need for a defined ecosystem. It's a very organic and diverse ecosystem in the affiliate channel. Google's dominance in the paid search space, in social, there are millions of people that are actors, influencers, people that utilise social media and, and create the content for it. But you've got dominance of certain platforms. How do you master TikTok? How do you master Twitter? How do you master YouTube and all that kind of thing? But you can see that there are very, very big single players in those ecosystems and everybody abides by their rules. There isn't anything like that. You've got so many different sorts of affiliates that again, constantly evolving. There are people that, you know, providers of third-party technology in order to develop their businesses they'll come into the affiliate space and they'll offer something to somebody on a CPA basis so it's very very innovative and you know there are there are lots of different networks there are lots of different sorts of affiliate because it's so diverse you don't have a single dominant person in only one area which which makes it very very difficult to to cooperate, it makes it very, very difficult for any sort of meaningful consensus to be forged and to last. And again, you know, we've seen things come and go over the last 15 years. So again, it doesn't help the reputation and doesn't help the standing of the affiliate industry that this can't happen. But I think it's perfectly understandable that it doesn't by, by the very diverse nature of the stakeholders in the space in comparison to other digital channels. So are there any advertisers out there whose business is essentially driven by affiliate marketing that it's their only channel other than natural search because they believe it is so effective or is that their dominant channel? 
I think it's quite a fluid mix. I mean, there is an element of that. My personal sense is that affiliate isn't always seen that way. There are lots of different stories that go around marketing departments. Affiliate is held in very high esteem in some. It's held in very low esteem by others. And my, my inbox will testify to that. So my personal belief is if affiliate marketing is the dominant source of sales for an organization, that has been a process of evolution. Because in my book, one of our big challenges as an agency for smaller brands is to actually get affiliates to onboard those brands and to promote those brands. And it's very much about brand awareness and share of voice. So for me, if I'm talking to somebody with my sales hat on and they say, we've literally just launched a brand, we want an affiliate program, we think it's going to be really good, I'll say, what else are you doing? Because you need to build your brand. You need to have a brand almost before you can come into the affiliate space. So from that point of view, Affiliate is very much a stage two when you're building a brand. It's significant, but it's not that significant, if that makes sense, to the vast majority of our clients. It seems to have a sort of 10 to 15%. Let's be honest, 75% of all advertising spend goes through Google and Facebook. Yeah. Affiliate can be secondary to that, though, because it can go through to be managed and sort of yeah. affiliate and then knock on. And we do see, certainly when various sort of changes have come in, if there's a change to the algorithm or there are changes around sort of various things that have gone in the last couple of years where all of a sudden your spend on Facebook or your spend on search has suddenly become more ineffective then we've seen budgets shunted into affiliate as a result of that which is encouraging from the point of view that it is obviously being seen as more part of the mainstream rather than the troublesome child. The point I'm making, I I think that's very important it does become part of the mainstream of how CMOs think about channels. It was never easy for affiliates to do what they do, and I think a lot of the old school were very remarkable people, and they played the situation that they found themselves in incredibly well. Google's raison d'etre seems to be, find out what people are doing, figure out what it is that they're doing, figure out how to take away the means for them to do it, and Google will do it itself. So I think Google learned at least as much from the, the old school of affiliates as they made from Google back in the day by being able to rank on it and, and then being able to play play the landscape to their own advantage from that point of view. I think affiliate has actually informed a lot more of people's digital strategy and informed how the digital landscape has evolved than probably people give it credit for for that reason. It's become progressively harder for smaller affiliates to profit from affiliate marketing for the simple reason that Google has probably annexed a lot of their ability to do it through the search algorithm. But it's almost impossible for a small publisher to rank in Google search. And even Google paid search has criteria associated with it, with authority, history, reputation. A smaller player is an uneven playing field in the ROI you get from the same search term and the same experience you give the user. But isn't that why, to Bruce's point, that the whole market has to become a little bit more innovative, or has become more innovative, that some small players of 2000 and X, who would have promoted Mm. websites and things, now know that they have to go down different routes. Look at the rise of the on-site technologies, look at the rise of the, the way that affiliate is being applied within content rather aside of content. It has had to change, but I think the new new is very tough. <laughs> the concept of a website is a bit old hat 
in that there's plenty of people who are making money out of affiliate marketing who are influencers, whether it's Instagram or TikTok. And that's why you've got the new the new networks like Everflow who focus on their audience of influencers as opposed to the more traditional publishers. But even building up that audience is, in a very noisy world, becoming ever tougher. The noise that one has to make has gotten even louder than the white noise that exists around the influencer in itself. Are, are we at a stage where you know affiliate is able to represent uh, earnings potential to forget the existing lot, to new lot? How, how does something new actually find their way to leverage affiliate marketing now? I think if you offer a really good customer proposition, and just to sort of bring it back ever so slightly, so my example of how I'm going to hold somebody up as a particularly good affiliate, if you look at, for example, Top Cashback, they've got a huge audience. They provide very, very clear customer value. They are a destination in their own right, so they're completely independent of Google to a very large degree because they built this fantastic brand. Where do you go to reach 7 million people, 7 million members? They can obviously monetize them. They've obviously got an audience that they can speak to that's engaged and opted in around those brands. You know, the way I personally talk about those guys to a client is, well, you know, they are the archetypal media owner. they go next where's affiliate publishing go next what do we expect to see next um i think i still think there's a lot of mileage in in the existing publisher space doing what they do a level a lot better and this isn't a criticism but one of the things that always surprised me from the outset was the big voucher code sites and the big cashback sites had a massive audience that they grew and i think some of the old school thinking possibly prevented them from being a lot more effective a lot earlier than they were because they weren't actually opting people in they weren't leveraging their audience and having their contact details and their ability to kind of sell that on for quite some considerable amount of time and it's difficult because with the influencer piece, and again, it, it's kind of one of those things where I don't think affiliate does content particularly well anymore. And there's a big overlap between the expectation of what the affiliate channel can deliver and, and to a point the way that the affiliate channel is pitched because it tends to lean very much. If you want to make affiliate marketing sexy, you start talking about content and you start talking about influencers. In the Venn diagram of affiliate marketing and influencers, you have a very thin segment where it actually overlaps, which is probably the bigger publishers, the Futures, the Hearsts, the, the Condé Nast of this world whether they're going through a sub-network or whether they're actually doing it off of their own back. And that's really where affiliate marketing and brands interface. In the fashion space, you've got the list, the shop styles, the whatever. But again, that comes with a very substantial amount of cost attached to it. So from a performance agency point of view, an affiliate management point of view, I have to balance that additional cost against what the channel is going to deliver and if I'm expected to deliver a, an all-in cost of sale for a client then I have to take that sort of thing into account so the art of the possible is really defined by the opportunity that the affiliate space actually provides to do it on an affiliate basis so is most of the growth of affiliate marketing on a revenue or sales basis or basket basis whatever it might be is it from the top hundred publishers doing what they do better than a new wave of publishers or the sub-hundred doing it better. Because if a future publishing goes and sorts out its remnant inventory, it might add 10% onto its own revenue with one project. 
which might add on half percent onto the growth of the whole industry. So is growth coming from execution rather than new publishers or new advertisers or combination of the things? I think it's a combination of them both. Uh, I, I, I'll be really honest with you. I'm probably too wrapped up in the here and the now to give you a truthful answer to that because I don't have a lot of time to sit back and, 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 and sort of contemplate that sometimes. I think that's a very, very fair comment. And I think, to be fair, a lot of it is about existing affiliates and some of it is about what's coming into the market that's that, that's new and relevant. I think one of the challenges that I have as an agency is if somebody comes in doing something that's third-party technology, doing something particularly innovative, if it doesn't immediately look like what somebody would expect an affiliate to do, i.e. talking about my product or, or, or having my product on their VanishCode site or cashback site, that's very, very easy for somebody to get, you know, that looks like marketing. Having somebody doing overlays on my site or having somebody basically uh, retarget or having somebody, you know, put up a chat box on my website on an affiliate basis, that suddenly looks like something completely different. And account managers will hit a certain amount of resistance when we're talking to clients. That's when other people at clients outside of the marketing department start to get involved. So those kind of things are, are, are much more of a slow burn. And I, I genuinely don't know how much of those and how much they're contributing to growth today. They might very well do tomorrow. Things will eventually hit the mainstream, but they take a bit longer than something that is very obviously advertising led. So the tech players, so the, the upsell it's increasingly is the involved techs, the intent leads. The moment someone at an advertiser wants to talk about those to their boss, the question comes, what other technologies does this overlap with? And it almost takes affiliate out of its silo into the wider marketing department. And there's got to be a discussion about does this cannibalise something else? Does this conflict with something else that we have? And it probably leads to good conversations at the advertiser about the affiliate channel, but it's conversations that may never have taken place previously. And going back to something you said, if the affiliate channel can deliver something very cost-effectively and you take a holistic viewpoint, then why not have somebody do it on an affiliate basis rather than paying for that technology internally? There's nothing to say that that technology doesn't work at least as well as something that you might have bolted onto your e-commerce platform or a company that you might have uh, retained to do that activity in a different way. Just because it's affiliate doesn't mean it's worse. Increases the spotlight on incrementality, which then takes you back to asking questions about voucher codes. So you start to have almost the wrong conversations about influence and incrementality. When is a cashback site directly responsible for driving a sale and when is it influential? When is a voucher code site directly responsible for driving a sale and when is it incremental? And when was it done at basket level? Is an on-site technology incremental? Is a voucher code site incremental? And it often leads to a very broad answer because actually the detail behind it is very hard to get. Single view and, and Odyssey and so on, that's the problem they're trying to solve. But it's a material problem because affiliate isn't always the first channel in the flow, especially when it comes to, I'm gonna go off-site and grab my voucher code. Now that's, that's a very old-fashioned view. I don't think that's a challenge in itself. What I am saying is that the way that e-commerce merchants will look at this suddenly you're under a different spotlight and now to the point you're making you might even be outside of the affiliate channel you might be in 
all of the channels and looking at the whole customer journey from, from the first time they searched on Google, or if they're a returning customer, what they interacted with along the way, and then everything becomes a question, not an answer. So part of the challenge is the design of affiliate marketing from start to finish originally was to capture sales, literally the number of sales I would generate from the number of clicks I would get in. And I think you made a really nice point about top cashback. Um, top cashback have eventually become affecting their immediate company. They're a media player. Hmm. Um, and the content that they start to provide, a little bit like Money Supermarket and all the others. They become content providers as well. There's advice within there that there's more than just a click here and get 5%. Um, and I think TCB have done it better than anybody else, a bit like Confused.com and Money Supermarket have done it better than anybody else. And then you have a few advertisers that even advertise against it to say we're not on these price comparison sites. That's an interesting angle for content. But they become content players, right? So how it, it, it becomes, again, almost a little bit siloed, a little bit detached, not just from other channels, but from each other. It's, it's something very clearly, we've got this type of affiliate and this type of affiliate and this type of affiliate, this type of influencer, and the, the crossover becomes less and less. And now you're having to explain five, six, seven ways of how to do affiliate marketing. I mean, that, that, that's kind of what we do already, if, right. if I'm honest, because we have to explain why we advocate or why we would or wouldn't use a particular channel. And a lot of that is very kind of brand specific. No, I think that's an interesting thing is you go into the client, you've got an hour in front of the client and you've got seven models to present, five minutes each plus a conversation, whereas the paid search agency turns up and they've got yeah. their hour <laughs> and they've got one model to discuss. It's much more simple, right? It, it's an ongoing process. An, an account manager will basically very patiently go through and suggest strategies, how you work with different sorts of affiliate. And it might be you do them one at a time, but it's experience that will condition how a client responds to that. It's proving a point about potentially incrementality or the value of a particular sort of, of affiliate. But therein lies a challenge that some of the most contentious parts of affiliate marketing is cashback incremental, is voucher codes incremental. Is that a real world thing you've come across? It is a real world thing. I mean, it's something I would very much caution against and we have conversations like this all the time. And I think it's a case of looking at it in the context of a brand. If you have a voucher code box in your checkout and you're a big brand, or depending on the nature of your product, you are going to find people that go off and do that. And one of our big clients is QuickFit, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this because I've said it in public a million times before. There is nothing in the nature of the QuickFit customer or the QuickFit brand. I didn't wake up in the morning, oh, I want to buy some new tires. I'm really excited by that. You know, in the same way that I might do if I was going to buy a pair of trainers or book a holiday or something like that. It's coming out of my non-discretionary income at a time where I'm probably not very inclined to spend it. I've got a million and one of the things to, to do with my money, including putting food on my family's table and, and heating the house. So I have to have new tyres. I have to get my car MOT. I need to get it serviced, otherwise it's going to break down. If I want to do that, I could go to the dealer that I bought the car off. I could go to my local garage down the hill. I could go to Halfords. I could go to QuickFit. Ultimately, they're all competing with each other. QuickFit wants to grow its revenue. QuickFit wants to grow its market share. And I, as a customer, am either going to go and find some way to take the edge off that purchase. 
Am I going to find a voucher code that's going to save me money? If I can't find a voucher code, can I get some cash back? Well, of course I am. And I'm going to go there and I'm basically, and whoever puts the offer in front of me or the biggest amount of cash back is going to get my sale. And if you've got 600 centers across the country, you're funding an advertising campaign, you've got a lot of corporate mouths to feed in terms of your payroll, then there is absolutely no reason on God's earth why you shouldn't be on voucher code and cashback sites. Because if you don't, if you're not there, you, you, you lessen your chances of winning that sale. Now, you tell me whether that's incremental or you tell me whether that's business sense because you advertise on TV, you advertise on radio, you advertise in the press. Where is the accountability for that? And finally, a little known affiliate fact. A fact about affiliate marketing you think everybody should know. Uh, well, I kind of already used it. Like I say, I think people forget that affiliate marketing is essentially a people business. Um, and, and, and I think once you understand that, it starts to make a great deal more sense and you can actually start to make some headway in growing your affiliate program. I think people make the mistake because it sits alongside every other digital channel that you can turn off and turn on and has some sort of mathematical yeah. certainty to it. Um, I think people tend to forget that in the case of affiliate. <laughs> Thanks for joining Bruce, Mark and Steve at the chapel. Join us again next time for some affiliate pub takeaways in another favourite bar.